All right, this morning we're looking at Mark 1, uh, 9 through 13. Just a short little story. Um, Mark 1, 9 through 13. You can find it on the screen behind me, and if you've got it with you, you can watch that way. It'll be on the screen in front of you before we... <laughs> what was that? All right, before we do that, let's pray uh, together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you uh, once again for meeting us here uh, in this place and for giving us your, your word. Uh, we ask that you would that you would fill us, Spirit, that you would open us up so that we might hear your voice this morning. Help us to hear exactly what we need to hear in order to, to change us, to mold us, to, to heal us, to comfort us, to, to fill us with joy, to, to just give us exactly what we need. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, my Beloved. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. And I like this part. And the angels attended him. That's it. We'll go that far. That's the story. The whole thing. And I feel like I have to talk about how short it was for a while just so that um, it takes up more time because usually I... I read a lot more scripture, and now i got to talk. Oh, anyway, sorry. Um, so we're going to talk about baptism. I think every so often it's good for us to, to, to talk about things, that, uh, things like this. So this is a sacrament, baptism. And I want, us to, uh, I want us to think a little bit about the imagery around baptism before we talk about the baptism of Jesus and our baptism and what it means for us and uh, the things that it might possibly mean. Uh, for us. Uh, so I want to talk about the imagery, the symbolism. Uh, I want to talk about the mechanics uh, of baptism because there's some really good, strong, beautiful, beautiful things uh, in it. So let's, um, and, and around here, normally we do the sprinkle kind, like we do the touch the forehead, the sprinkle, which is good and great and beautiful and, and meaningful. But I want us to talk this morning about the mechanics, the imagery, the symbolism of the kind of baptism that Jesus uh, likely would have experienced. So we're talking about full immersion baptism. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, just for a few moments. And I, so if you want, just sort of imagine what it would feel like to go through the experience along, along with Jesus or somebody else that's going to be baptized in, in a river, okay? So just imagine it. I imagine there's, there's some sort of trepidation at first as you sort of make your way down toward the water, the, the feeling of, oh my goodness, what am I getting myself into? 
Uh, what, is this, what is this really going to mean for me? Uh, is the water going to be cold? Am I going to be freezing? So I imagine there's some sort of trepidation as you make your way uh, toward the water. And then there's the, the slow wade into the river. Maybe you feel the shock of the cold and you, you get down to about, about waist deep. And then next, next comes the plunge. Okay? And now this isn't just sort of some fun little dive under the water that you might experience in a river or a lake or a pool uh, as you're sort of having fun in the water. No, this isn't that. You are actually allowing yourself to be submerged under the water by somebody else's hand. So you're letting, you're letting go of control and you're allowing yourself to be plunged underneath the water by someone else's strong, safe hands. So you're allowing yourself to be pushed under the water by somebody else. I think that point is, is significant. So there's this plunge down into the chaotic waters. Now let's think a little bit more about, about the water. The waters have the ability both to drown you but also bring about new life, right? Which is, of course, exactly what we're after in baptism, right? There's the plunge down into the chaotic waters, these waters that have the extraordinary ability to do so many things. Among them are to cleanse, to purify, to refresh, to sustain, and finally, there's the coming up out of the waters. So you're down under there. You can't breathe. It's chaotic. It might be a little bit scary. And then you're brought up out of the waters. There's relief. There's new breath. There's new life. There's new opportunity. There's new purpose. There's maybe new beginning. There's celebration. Baptism. I think it's good for us to think about the imagery, the symbolism of what's happening when someone is baptized, right? So now there's this story about Jesus being baptized that we find here in the Bible. And what do we do with it? What's it really about? Why is it, why is it in there? Because here's the deal. We don't really know much about the spirituality of Jesus before this day. We don't know much because not much is said about it. I think we can safely assume that he was an observant Jew. He grew up in a, in a Jewish home. He attended synagogue on a regular basis. He was taught Torah by the rabbis and probably by his family. He lived by the law. He probably did everything a good observant Jew was supposed to do. And then one day when he was, we're pretty sure he was about 30 years old, Jesus came to a kind of came to a kind of turning point in his life. And I like to think that Jesus had a turning point in his life because I can relate to that. One day, he came to a kind of turning point in his own life. So he'd been at home, taking care of the family, working as a carpenter, and then one day on this day, he went out into the country to the Jordan River to see and hear his, his distant cousin John, who was drawing lots of large crowds because of his passionate preaching. And at the end of the day, Jesus walks 
into the river, wades down in there, and he asks John to baptize him. Now, the way Mark frames it for Jesus, this was the beginning of something new for him. He was living at home, taking care of his family, working as a carpenter. Now he has this experience. He gets baptized. And the way that Mark frames it, this is the beginning of something new for Jesus. Things were now going to be different for him. Isn't that interesting? For Jesus, things now were going to be different. The baptism of Jesus, it's in there, I think, because Jesus remembered it and told his disciples about it. And the story was told again and again and again and again until it was written down by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Think of it. At this point in the story of Jesus, he doesn't have followers. He doesn't have disciples. He doesn't have learners. That's not how it's going for him. So how did they know about this story? Well, Jesus had to tell them about it over and over again to the point where they felt it was so important that they had to write it down. So for Jesus... He thought his own baptism was super important. In this, he had a profound experience. And it's really hard to explain our own profound experiences, isn't it? It's hard to find language to describe a profound experience. So maybe Jesus told the story a little bit like this. Somebody asked Jesus how it all began. How did you get started, Jesus? How did it all begin? How did, this, how did this whole thing get going for you? Tell us. And he probably said something like this. He would have said it in Aramaic because it's probably what he spoke, but I don't know Aramaic. So he probably would have said it like, like this. Well, there I was on the banks of the Jordan River. I was just one person in a whole crowd of people. Uh, we were listening to John, and all of a sudden, it was like my whole life flashed before my eyes. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's almost like my life began to make sense. All of the pieces began to, to sort of click into place. I got excited about it. And for some reason, I found myself walking down to the river. I don't, I don't know if I was pushed I don't know if I was, I was pulled, but I was just compelled by something or someone, and I, I waded down in there, and I asked John to baptize me, and he did. He pushed me down underneath the waters, and then he pulled me back up again, and there I was, drenched, soaking wet, water dripping off my whole body, and tears were just flooding from my eyes, and then... And then at that moment, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, it was like heaven opened. And then it was like the Spirit of God was coming down out of the heavens like a dove. And I swear to you, I heard a voice. I don't know if anybody else heard it, but I swear to you, I heard a voice. You are my son. My beloved, with you I am well pleased. Friends, I think this story is in here 
Because it was a profound experience for Jesus, one that he told over and over and over again. I think the story is in there because, because I think this is the day that Jesus finally figured out who he really was and decided what he was going to do about it, what he was going to do next. According to Mark, according to Mark, the story of Jesus begins on the day he's now gripped by the power of the love of God. He starts here. The story of Jesus begins on the day he was gripped by the power of the love of God. You are my son, my beloved. And because he's gripped by the power of the love of God, he knows that he is God's beloved son, and he knows deep down in his soul that he's got nothing to be afraid of. Whatever comes next, he's got nothing to be afraid of. Not even death itself. From death underneath the waters to new life up out of the waters, breathing again. That's baptism right there. Baptism is like, is like God's hand reaching out of heaven. Wherever that is, by the way. God, God's strong, safe hands reaching out of heaven and touching us, claiming us as his own. Not just his own, but his own children, beloved son, beloved daughter, beloved child of God. Baptism is a sign of God's unmerited favor, his unearned love and embrace, acceptance. Because here's the deal, we can't fake God out, right? Have you tried? We can't fake God out. God knows what we've done. God knows what we've believed about ourselves and other people. God knows the things that we've left undone, and yet God loves us, embraces us, claims us still by his grace. So every time that we baptize someone in this community, in this congregation, these are some of the words that we say. Baptism is the sign and seal of God's promises to us. So God is promising to us. God promises by grace alone to forgive us our sins. Like all of them. Even the worst ones. You're well acquainted with those. I don't have to remind you of them. God promises by grace alone to forgive us our sins. God promises by grace alone to adopt us into the body of Christ, the church. Full acceptance, full inclusion, no matter what, you belong. God promises by grace alone to send the Spirit daily. Oh, I love that that word is in there to send the Holy Spirit daily to renew us and cleanse us. So this isn't a one-time deal. This is a daily deal. This is an every day you wake up, there's the Spirit walking alongside of us. God promises by grace alone to resurrect us to eternal life. Death will not have the last word. Pain will not have the last word. Suffering will not have the last word. Mm-mm. All of that promised by grace alone. God promises 
by grace to, to forgive us our sins, to adopt us into the body of Christ, the church, to send the Spirit daily to renew and cleanse us and to resurrect us to eternal life. Ah! Author Anne Lamont, who, if you know her, her story, she walked away from faith and was an addict of all sorts. She came back to the Christian faith and to church, a little Presbyterian church in California, after a really, really rough time. So she's written a book. She's written lots of books. Read anything she's written because it's all beautiful and awesome. In her book, Traveling Mercy, she, she tells the story of her, her conversion. Now, here's the deal about Anne Lamont. She's a, she's a Christian, right? She's a follower of Jesus. She's given her life to Jesus, but she's super irreverent. And she uses what, what most people might consider to be like questionable language. It's fine. That's part of what her appeal is. Anyway, she was interviewed one time by a magazine about her conversion, and she said this, I try to share my resurrection story. Her story is a resurrection story, just the story of her life. I love that she uses that language. It's a resurrection story. It's a new life story. I share my story with people in the hopes that some of them who have left churches, like she had, some of them who have left churches, or who have been kicked out because of their beliefs or actions, will find something in my words or humor that makes church safe for them again. I love that. I never said I'm a good Christian. I love that. I just know that Jesus adores me and is only as far away as his name. I say, hi, Lord, and he says, hello, darling. He loves me so much, he keeps a photo of me in his wallet. If I were the only person on earth, he would have died for me. He loves me so much, he keeps a photo of me in his wallet. Today it would be, my picture is the wallpaper on his iPhone. Because Jesus would own an iPhone, just so you're, <laughs> so you're clear on that. Baptism is a sign and seal of God's unmerited favor, God's unearned love and acceptance and inclusion. That's what baptism is. That's not all of it. There's more, right? Baptism for Jesus was also a kind of an anointing for him, like a seal placed on a calling in his life. So baptism is an outward sign and seal of an inward reality. So we're using, so Jesus would, would be God's Messiah, God's promised one who would save Israel and the rest of the world. So we're using kingly nation or kingly, uh, kingly words here. So in, in the Old Testament and in ancient Israel, kings were marked by an anointing of oil as a symbol of their office and their responsibility now. They now have a new vocation as king. So it was an anointing. 
So for Jesus, and then it becomes this for us, baptism is sort of an anointing, a, a preparation for intentionally living a new kind of life, a different kind of life. So listen, baptism is also a sign that we pledge allegiance to a different kingdom, a new kind of kingdom, what, what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And this allegiance to a new kind of king, kingdom is now worked out in giving our lives away to other people, period, in love. We now serve other people. So when we're baptized, we are automatically connected to the body of Christ, the church, the community of people that is nothing less than the flesh and blood presence of Jesus in the world now. We are, you've heard this, we're his hands, his feet, his voice. That means that in this world, we work toward the same things Jesus worked towards. We work towards the things of the kingdom, things like justice, and peace, and healing, and forgiveness, and reconciliation, and acceptance, inclusion, and grace, and love, and embrace. So what we do now matters a whole bunch. When anyone is baptized, when anyone's baptized, that per person's life now takes on new meaning, new purpose, has a new direction. We become agents of the kingdom of God in the world today. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter when we find ourselves there. We are now agents of the kingdom at home, at school, at work, at play, Sunday through Saturday to Sunday again, and on and on and on. Agents of the kingdom. So here's the deal. Jesus didn't just call people to get their lives straightened out so that they could fly off to heaven one day and be with God after they die. That's not even Jesus' full image of what heaven is. In fact, he hardly talked about that. Most of what Jesus talked about had to do with the here and now. See, the really good news that Jesus brought was that God's kingdom in the person of Jesus had broken in. Had broken into our reality, was present here and now. Jesus didn't see heaven as some far-off place where the angels and God sort of hung out together, ate meals, and put together puzzles waiting for the rest of us to die in order to join them up there somewhere. No, no, no. Jesus didn't. That was not his view of heaven. No, Jesus saw heaven as close at hand. Jesus saw heaven as close at hand active, engaging, breaking into wherever it is we are, whenever it is we're there. And you and me, by virtue of our baptism, we're called to participate in that heavenly kingdom here now. It means we get down and dirty and messy in the world's problems and pains. And when we feel like we're drowning in the world's problems and pains, that's when God promises with God's strong, safe hands to pull us back up and breathe new life into us again. So each of us comes with a different story. All of us do. We come with a different story. We all come with different histories, experiences, different baggage. Perhaps you've been told that you are a sinner and that your life is so broken and so messed up 
that you are so lost that God will never come find you in order to love you. You know what? It's time for you to come up out of those chaotic waters. Embrace the love of God that is for you. You are God's beloved. Perhaps you've been told by yourself or by others that you aren't smart enough, that you aren't good enough to amount to much of anything. It's time for you to come up out of those chaotic waters and claim God's love because you are his beloved and God's beloved amount to a whole bunch. The lives of God's beloved always have meaning, always have purpose. Perhaps you've been told that you're a failure. A failure as a student, a failure as a son, a failure as a daughter, a failure at work, a failure as a parent. Those words have, those words sting a whole bunch. It's got you all confused and messed up inside. It's time for you to come up out of those chaotic waters and claim God's love for you. You are God's beloved. No matter how many times you fail, God still believes in you. Or even worse, perhaps you've been told these things by the church. Perhaps you love Jesus so much, but you're struggling because the church doesn't seem to look and live and love like him. And it's got you all confused and frustrated on the inside, and you don't know what to do. There are plenty of us under those chaotic waters. And it's time for all of us to come out of those chaotic waters. Claim God's love because we are God's beloved. And it's time for us to figure out how to better represent Jesus in this world that needs him now more than ever. Friends, every time we wake up in the morning, it's like coming up out of the waters again. Every time. Every time we wake up in the morning, it's like coming up out of the waters again. With each new day, we have another opportunity to live into these realities of our baptism. Yesterday's gone. Today's new. Here it is. Today will be gone, and then tomorrow will come. But today is another opportunity to claim God's love and acceptance and be transformed by his forgiveness. Each day is another opportunity to live into our baptism, to live into our calling to join God and transforming the world around us. That's the good news that Mark is trying to tell us about. That's the good news that, that we're called to share and embody to the world. You, you are God's beloved. <clears throat> With you, God is well pleased. Let's pray.